You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. BC recorded the highest and second highest single day new case totals of COVID-19 last week. And with them, a disturbing new trend. More and more people between 20 and 40 years old are contracting COVID-19, with more of them ending up in hospital. As Kristen Robinson reports, doctors on the front lines of the crisis now feel compelled to speak out. On the outside, it may be patio season, but most British Columbians are not seeing what the third wave looks like inside our hospitals. I do think that uh, we should be a little bit worried. Dr. Gerald DeRosa, the head of medicine at Royal Columbian Hospital, seeing young people getting sicker. Intensive care units at capacity, with patients trickling down into wards. Potentially the busiest they've been in 15 years. Dr. Kevin McLeod, who works in the COVID-19 ward at Lions Gate, warning in a tweet, BC, we have a problem. The hospitals are much busier, significant increase in COVID cases, especially in younger people, presenting really sick, needing 100% oxygen to stay alive, teetering on intubation sick. A lot more patients, he says, coming straight from Whistler, which became a COVID hotspot earlier this year. The median age of people with the, the variant of concern, P1, is 28, meaning half of them are under 28 and half of them are over 28. So that's young, much younger than the regular case of COVID-19. For the first time, BC reported more than 1,000 new COVID-19 cases between April 1st and 2nd, and again from April 2nd to 3rd. UBC's Dr. Sally Otto believes variants now make up half of all new cases. We're in really hunkered down territory again. In some ways, even worse because this variant is more transmissible and it's more deadly. We are seeing 30-year-olds in the intensive care unit uh, receiving, as I said, full critical care support, um, including some measures that uh, we really reserve for the sickest of the sick. <laughs> If just one person at this private restaurant bash at Big White had COVID, DeRosa says they could potentially spread it to 40 others, each of whom could then transmit the virus through their community. That could have potentially disastrous consequences, um, both for those individuals and also the healthcare system. Despite the dire messaging, both doctors believe BC will get through this. If we stick to our bubbles, follow public health orders and resist the urge to travel. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The Vancouver Canucks are an example of how quickly the variant first identified in Brazil can attack. More than 20 players and coaches are on the COVID protocol list with at least half of them testing positive and with several cases of the more contagious P1 variant. The virus has spread through the team despite strict NHL safety protocols, including daily testing. The league is proceeding on the assumption the entire team will likely test positive. Some of the Canucks are reportedly very ill with symptoms that include vomiting, cramping and dehydration. And some of their family members have also tested positive. They're young players, they're in peak physical condition. That is someone, if that can affect someone of that physical caliber, um, you know, that makes me someone uh, or any one of my colleagues in my family. You know, none of us are at this athletic level. All of us are at risk. 
B.C.'s health minister says the Canucks are not currently being considered for early vaccinations, but that could change in the future. The team was scheduled to play in Calgary next Thursday and Saturday, but those games are highly unlikely to happen given the current team situation. And, of course, Barry DeLay will have more coming up in sports. Well, just days ago, Premier John Horgan issued a plea for all of us to curb our social activity to curb the spread of COVID, pointing the finger particularly to those between the ages of 20 and 39, saying they aren't listening. He took some heat for that, but as Jamie Tawil found out, he's right, at least for one group of young partiers. This was the scene on the waterfront in Kelowna Saturday night. A large boat operated by Kelowna Cruises hosting what appears to be more than 20 individuals, many of them in the 20 to 39 age group, all given a stern message from the Premier last week. I'm asking, I'm appealing to young people to curtail your social activity. Interior Health confirmed to Global News that party boats fall under the orders for vacation accommodation so are not permitted under the current gathering and events restrictions in B.C. A statement released by medical health officer Sylvina Mima to Global News Sunday read, in part, everybody needs to stick to their bubble indoors and continue to use their layers of protection to minimize transmission of the virus. If gathering outdoors, do so safely with up to the same 10 people while still maintaining distance. Now, this incident comes less than a week after this video of partygoers at Charlie Victoria's restaurant located at Big White went viral. Earlier that day, the Premier had this stern message for younger crowds. Do not blow this for the rest of us. Global News reached out to Kelowna Cruises for comment, but the company declined. Many local residents who've been following the rules who saw the video were curious as to how it didn't violate current restrictions. That's, yeah, that's pretty much a, a violation of the rules. Yeah. yeah, I think it's yeah. a violation of the rules. Completely. They're probably not complying with like six feet. They're probably not wearing masks. So I really don't think that's a good idea. Well, big gathering. I actually can't tell if people are wearing masks or not, but <laughs> regardless, big gathering, people aren't social distancing. Yeah. Very big difference, yes. Yeah. What do you think? That's definitely different than a patio if it's a big party there. But if it's like, I don't know, if it's your boat. <laughs> B.C. has seen a surge in COVID cases of late with over 2,000 reported Friday and Saturday. Health officials continue to urge people to stay within their bubble and follow social distancing guidelines. If not, the party for COVID-19 could be far from over. Jamie Tawil, Global News, Kelowna. A Kitsilano restaurant is closed tonight, but the owner says not because it was ordered closed by health officials for flouting the indoor dining ban. Patrons inside Corduroy Restaurant shouted as owner Rebecca Matthews was served with papers by health inspectors. She was ordered closed because she was serving people indoors. The owner kept operating for the rest of the night. On social media, she said they would have sold, they have sold out of food and decided to close Sunday and Monday, but plan to reopen on Tuesday afternoon. The health minister says the closure order would be enforced, but wouldn't specify how. The BC Restaurant and Food Services Association issued a statement urging the immediate closure, fining, and business license revocation of any business that elects to defy health orders. Well, that defiance is also being seen at a number of churches this Easter Sunday. Despite an order against in-person, indoor faith gatherings, some parishioners still headed into their churches today. Paul Johnson reports. Praise the Lord! 
Christ is risen. You're watching a scene as old as Christianity itself. People insisting their spiritual convictions are above and beyond the secular law of the land. It's a, a worthwhile thing to do, yeah. Some defied quietly and avoided our news cameras. Others were ready to give you an earful. We're turning into a socialistic country here. I don't want to live in China. I don't want to live in North Korea. This supposedly was a good country at one time. There's no common sense anymore. For many devout Christians, the pandemic has been one long, confusing roller coaster ride. Many thought their right to gather and worship was protected by the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. But when they went to court, a B.C. Supreme Court judge told them, no, you have to listen to Dr. Bonnie Henry. Their hopes were briefly lifted last month when she announced a surprise exemption for them, but then withdrew it in the face of rising case numbers. The previously announced uh, order variants for limited indoor worship services that we have worked very carefully with our faith leaders across the province will now also now need to be suspended. Though this handful of Christian congregations has gotten a lot of attention, the vast majority of B.C.'s churches, synagogues, gurdwaras, mosques and temples have complied with the rules and gathered only online or outside. I think there was about 20 people in there. To outsiders, the compulsion to defy public health orders may seem irresponsible and downright strange. But if you've had even a bit of history, you're probably not surprised. Paul Johnson, Global News. The organizer of an outdoor horse race in Kamloops is questioning a decision to pull the plug on an event that had already begun. A few competitors managed to get races in on Friday before organizers were told to shut it down. Barrel racing involves a mounted athlete competing against the clock. It happens in an outdoor space 91 meters long by 42 meters wide. Organizers say no more than 10 people were in that space at any time. They felt their event was one of the few COVID-safe rodeo events. Canceled the high school rodeos, canceled the little bridges rodeos. Uh, pretty much canceled everything. The only thing I felt we could provide safely for the agriculture community is barrel racing. And they felt the need to take that away uh, for no, no reason at all. Cor Nelson wants to sit down with provincial officials to come up with a plan to allow rodeo professionals to make a living. Interior Health says the event was in contradiction of health orders and officials jointly advised the organizers to cancel the event. There is relief that the province is expanding its AstraZeneca vaccine rollout to other B.C. communities beyond the Lower Mainland, including to the Okanagan and the island. The shots should be available starting next week at select pharmacies yet to be announced. I'm optimistic. We've expressed our interest to uh, BCPHA, and I've spoken to Interior, uh, someone at Interior Health as well, and uh, they, they are optimistic as well that there will be an equitable rollout of the vaccine to, to pharmacies in the area. Only people between the ages of 55 and 65 are eligible for this particular vaccine right now. The BC Pharmacy Association has sent a letter to pharmacies encouraging them to begin making wait lists for patients inquiring about the vaccine. At the same time, the province says it's working to deliver an easy-to-use online booking system for all British Columbians. That should also be available on Tuesday. So it is still unclear exactly how 
these appointments will be made. Two shootings in the last 24 hours kept Lower Mainland Police very busy. A man in his 20s was rushed to hospital after an apparent shooting in Coquitlam. Police were called to the 1200 block of Howie Avenue just after 11 o'clock this morning. When officers arrived, they found the victim on the ground. He's in hospital in serious condition. No suspects are in custody. RCMP are investigating after shots were fired overnight in this quiet Maple Ridge neighborhood. Gunfire was reported near 241st Street and 102A Avenue, but it appears to be a victimless crime with no injuries reported. Mounties are calling this an isolated incident. A drive-through vigil was held last night in North Vancouver to honor the victims of last week's mass stabbing. With help from the district, the Lynn Valley Lions Club and Lion Valley Legion, the community was able to come together to grieve and find strength. First responders also attended. Just eight days ago, they rushed to the Lynn Valley Library for reports of a stabbing spree. A woman in her 20s was killed and six others were injured. Really heartwarming scene and I mean I knew there'd be a lot of cars because it's Lynn Valley and there's lots of lots of people coming to support such a tragedy, such an awful situation. The drive-through ceremony featured music and artwork created by local students. Coming up next, too little, too late. A fallen tree forces a Surrey family from their home. Why they say their warning to the city went unheeded. And somebody knows something. The plea to return a bike used to help seniors as the news hour continues. A Surrey family has been forced out of their home after last weekend's storm had a tree forcing its way in crashing onto their house. As Grace Key reports, the homeowners say the destruction could have been prevented if their neighbors' concerns about the tree had been taken seriously and acted on. I see something out of the corner of my eye come at me. I know it's not good. Sylvia Eisma was sitting at her kitchen table during last week's windstorm when a tree came crashing down onto her home. The memory is still upsetting. But I, I can't. The top floor master bedroom got the worst of the damage, and that's where her son was sitting. My son was trapped right between the two branches. Sylvia is frustrated with the city of Surrey. For the past 12 years, she's complained about the tree. Five years ago, her deck was damaged when a cottonwood branch landed on it. She's not the only neighbour who's had tree damage. In my case, I've had obviously two trees come down in the back of my yard. And both occasions got lucky, didn't hit the house, but it hit my back deck. The first tree came down five years ago. The second, the following year. He also voiced concerns to the city of Surrey. I made a complaint on doing three, four times at least. Um, the answer is the same thing is that we're not going to cut the trees down or anything like that. And any damage there is, it's your own home insurance is going to have to cover it. Several neighbours say they've complained about various trees for years. Some have had more minor property damage. Residents say there has been some tree maintenance. But two days after the windstorm, after years of complaints, a change. Now, miraculously, there's been some kind of action. They've come in here and they've looked and deemed there's nine hazardous trees. But, but last week there was none. But now suddenly there's nine. We reached out to the city of Surrey who passed along our request to the Parks Division. We did not hear back by deadline. We're very frustrated with the city. I believe their policy is not to cut down any kind of live tree. But apparently it's okay for one to land on live people.
Luckily, no one was seriously hurt and neighbors quickly came to Sylvia's aid. She is now working with her insurance company and will make a claim with the city. Grace Key, Global News. And a statement we just received from the city of Surrey Parks Department says the city has a robust uh, pardon me, it has a robust tree risk assessment and abatement program based on arboreal culture industry standards. In addition to a proactive inspection program, the city also responds in a timely manner to all reports of trees that may be of concern. Members of Comox Valley Search and Rescue were kept busy this long weekend with a rescue on Mount Brooks on Friday. And they came to the aid of three snowshoers, including one with an injured leg. Teams of snowmobilers shuttled skiers, then snowshoers to get to the three, but the terrain was steep and conditions were difficult. And the injured person was airlifted out by military. The other two were escorted out. This comes as BC's ground search and rescue teams report their busiest year on record during the pandemic with more than 1,900 deployments. An overnight crash near Victoria has police, uh, Victoria, um, has police reminding new drivers about license restrictions. Saanich police say a section of Shelburne Street near Hillside Mall was shut down early this morning after a new driver fell asleep and crashed into a telephone pole. No one was hurt, fortunately. Police say fatigue appeared to be the primary factor, but the driver received a 12-hour suspension after a breath sample showed alcohol in their system. Class 7 license restrictions include zero blood alcohol content. An appeal tonight from a nonprofit community group in Vancouver for the return of their unique bicycle stolen last year. The Frog Hollow Neighborhood House had purchased this custom-built tricycle in the U.S. back in 2017. It was used to provide mobile service to homebound seniors in the Hastings Sunrise area. The large wooden box on the back allowed volunteers to transport items like coffee, lemonade, food hampers and fresh vegetables. But in November, their shed was broken into and the prized bike taken. We would like to make a call out for please be on the lookout for this tricycle. If we can get it back, that would be great. If not, we would appreciate any type of donation of any sort to replace the tricycle. Coming up next, the vaccination passport trial that could open up crowd activities in the UK. Plus, why some Albertans are angry with government officials about their own P1 variant outbreak. And how the world is celebrating a second socially distanced Easter as the news hour continues. BC isn't the only province struggling with the COVID variant first discovered in Brazil. Alberta health officials revealed this weekend a significant outbreak involving the P1 variant. But as Jackie Wilson reports, some are calling out the government for not saying more about where the outbreak occurred and how many people may have been exposed. Dr. Dina Hinshaw reported Saturday that the province is investigating a significant outbreak involving the P1 variant first identified in Brazil. But beyond saying it's linked to a traveler, the chief medical officer of health and the provincial government did not elaborate on how many people are impacted or a location Saturday or Sunday leaving many frustrated with the lack of information. A spokesperson for Alberta Health would only say they'd update Albertans on Monday. It's inexplicable. There's, it doesn't make any sense. Political scientist Lori Williams calls the move unwise. We're reliant upon them not only to give us that information, but to answer questions that we have about it. So to simply put out a tweet um, which raises concerns and doesn't answer any questions 
simply raises the level of anxiety, and I think quite unnecessarily. This outbreak is believed to be the first linked to this variant in Alberta. The good news is, according to one infectious disease doctor, the vaccines available in Canada do protect against this variant. Based on the lab data, um, we think that the vaccines will offer some protection against this variant, but we don't have firm observed numbers in a, in a community setting. Medical experts say variants, including P1, are more transmissible, which means preventative measures have to be followed more strictly. Transmissibility of all of them kind of ranges in the, you know, one and a half to two times more transmissible um, for all the variants of concern. The only one that I've seen good data suggesting that the disease itself is worse in terms of higher severity or more likely to cause death is actually the UK variant. Dr. Saxinger expects an increase of restrictions in the week ahead to minimize the spread of the virus. The province says they'll have an update on Monday. Jackie Wilson, Global News. And speaking of those variants, the first U.S. case of the so-called double mutant variant, first identified in India, has just been confirmed in California, and it could be even more contagious. The news comes as Christians worldwide celebrated Easter under COVID restrictions. But as NBC's Sarah Harmon reports, that doesn't seem to be stopping U.S. holidaymakers. Today, Pope Francis holding an unusually socially distanced Easter Mass, addressing those suffering due to the pandemic and calling vaccines an essential tool in the fight against COVID-19. The Easter tradition impacted by COVID for a second year, with Italy once again under national lockdown, hoping to avoid a repeat of the disaster they suffered at the start of the pandemic. Across Europe, a similar story with tougher restrictions in France, Poland and Germany. I think it definitely uh, makes people not want to go out as much because the rules have become so much stricter. In Paris, fire-ravaged Notre Dame Cathedral remained closed after President Macron imposed a third national lockdown, sending Parisians racing out of the city. In England, restaurants and pubs remain shut, but outdoor meetups are now permitted, allowing the Queen and Prince Charles to take a socially distanced Easter stroll. Back in the U.S., vaccinations are speeding up, with more than one in three American adults having received at least one dose. But there are growing concerns over a new wave as cases surge, particularly in Michigan and the Northeast. Easter weekend has brought a huge number of travelers. The TSA screened 1.5 million people at airports on Friday. As health officials warn, it's now a race between the vaccine and the new variants. The UK is getting set to test out so-called vaccine passports and pre-event testing is gearing up in the, for the safe return of those events. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson is poised to make the announcement tomorrow. The government will test a series of measures at pilot events, including the FA Cup final at Wembley Stadium, a nightclub a comedy club and a mass participation run. Passes would show if a person had been vaccinated, had a recent negative test or natural immunity. The events would also explore how ventilation and testing before and after could help crowds return. The UK government is also set to announce the return of foreign travel via a traffic light system.
Also in the UK, friends and family of people who have died of COVID-19 are working to create a special way to remember their loved ones. The National COVID Memorial Wall features more than 150,000 hearts, one for every person in the UK whose death certificate mentions COVID-19. Among them is Sophie Rawlings, whose parents died seven days apart in January after testing positive for the virus. That's still so unreal and shocking. It's like a nightmare I'm hoping to wake up from still. So when I see this was going on, I thought they deserve to be part of the wall. They deserve to be remembered like all these other people. And we've just lost so many thousands in the pandemic through COVID that they're not numbers. They're all names and they're all people and they've all got someone like me devastated on the other end. The campaign group behind the National COVID Memorial Wall is demanding a public inquiry into how the pandemic was handled in the UK. The memorial is opposite the Houses of Parliament in London and it backs onto the hospital where Prime Minister Boris Johnson was treated last year in intensive care for COVID-19. A state of emergency has been declared in Florida after a leak from a large pond of toxic wastewater in Tampa Bay. More than 300 homes in the area have been ordered evacuated and a motorway near the Piney Point Reservoir has been closed off. Residents were sent a text alert telling them to leave their homes immediately. Florida's governor plans to go after those responsible for the situation. Our administration is dedicated to full enforcement of any damages to our state's resources and holding the company HRK accountable for this event. This is not acceptable. It's not something we will allow to persist. Just over a week ago, a leak was discovered in one of the walls of the 77-acre reservoir, which contains leftover chemicals from the production of fertilizer. Torrential rains in East Timor and Indonesia have led to flash floods and landslides, killing at least 41 people and displacing thousands more. Mudslides crashed into nearly 50 homes in a village on Flores Island where 20 bodies have been recovered. Three other villagers were killed by flash floods. In another village, two people remain missing after rain-bloated rivers burst their banks. A tearful apology today from the owner of an unmanned truck that rolled onto a train track and caused Taiwan's worst train disaster in decades. The truck's owner said he will cooperate with investigators and takes responsibility. Crews removed the crumpled carnage of the express train from the tunnel where it derailed on Friday. The crash that killed 48 and injured nearly 200 was caused by a truck rolling onto those tracks. Investigators say the truck's emergency brake was not engaged. Coming up next, an Easter warning. They are soft and warm and adorable, but why you and your kids are better off with chocolate bunnies. Next. A warning about the cutest part of Easter. We're going to have that for you right after Yvonne's forecast. I couldn't help myself but find a bunny story just <laughs> ahead of you.
<laughs> Very fitting. Yeah. Very appropriate. It was it was a beautiful day for any Easter hunts going on today. Yeah, it timed out very well. Mother Nature uh, giving us the sunshine through the day today, but it was breezy, windy, especially for areas that are closer to the water. We'll start off with a couple of photos from Easter. A gorgeous shot of the cherry blossoms. This one captured in Stanley Park, Adeline. This one for you, Colleen. Sage and Macy. A very happy Easter. A great so shot. Cute. So good. And in English Bay, it was gorgeous out there, so thank you so much, John. But windy through the day today. Here's what it currently looks like overlooking English Bay. Temperatures are sitting at 10 degrees. We bumped up to 11 through the day today. The average typically sits closer to 12, and the winds right now to the airport at 17 kilometers per hour. It was cooler today for the southern interior. Yesterday, Asturias got up to 20 degrees. Today, though, still double digits at 14. Kamloops topped out at 10 degrees, and areas near Campbell River today up to 11. Now, we may still have a few isolated showers out there for all areas across the south coast, so a 30% chance for this evening, and then it is going to clear out, especially as we get in towards the evening. Now, we've got the clear skies, calm winds, and the combinations there that we are looking at fog. It'll be overnight tonight, and chilly down to one so a heads up through the morning hours a bit of fog patches and then it dissipates in the morning underneath a mainly sunny sky and temperatures should climb up to 11 degrees a look at the satellite and radar we've got a nice ridge of high pressure that'll dominate or build in across the southern half of the province stretching towards the southeastern corners one area though that will be tracking moisture is along the north and central coast the rain will start to pick up through the day continue for the afternoon that's along the northern half of the province but all areas towards the south should remain dry we'll start to track the return for some precipitation along the south coast late day on Tuesday. Now the north coast for tomorrow, we could see some heavier rainfall for areas near Terrace, northeastern corners with some sunshine in the mix. So it'll be similar across the central interior. Heads up though for the southern interior. We've got dry conditions, but the winds are going to pick up. The potential's there to see gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour and a northwesterly wind for most areas. Whistler will bump up to 11 degrees. Along the south coast, so we have some morning fog patches, afternoon sunshine, highs once again into the double digits. We'll see that over the next two days, Tuesday night leading in towards Wednesday. Blip in the forecast with the potential for some rain, but it rebounds quite quickly back into some sunshine again on our Thursday. Colleen? Sounds good. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Okay, this might be a little bit late for some, but a warning tonight not to give your honey bunnies uh, live bunny this Easter. Yes, they are cute, but they are usually bound for the animal shelter not long after Easter Sunday. And raising rabbits is a lot of work. The same goes for chicks and ducks, which also wind up in some Easter baskets, then again in shelters. So animal welfare groups, including the BCSPCA, ask that you pass on the live animals and stick to the candy and chocolate versions instead. And of course, the chocolate version is so delicious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yummy, yummy. Exactly. Uh, Barry, what do you have coming up? Well, of course, uh, the big topic around here, Canucks and uh, COVID. Jim Benning, the Canucks general manager, actually put out a message today on the Canucks Twitter account, basically just saying they hope to have information they can share in the coming days and to thank fans uh, for their support and concern during this time. Uh, the latest official results, 16 Canucks on the COVID list. We're hearing that number could be over 20 and a few coaches involved. And it's that Brazilian variant that uh, a lot of the players apparently having uh, some pretty nasty symptoms. So uh, it gets to the point now where it's more get healthy and they'll worry about the hockey later. So we'll, we'll fill you on that uh, coming up. We wish them all well. Thanks, Barry. Coming up next, the future of an important BC site. There's no evil villain in this, in this story.
But not everyone agrees why a decision about the Squamish Spit's future will be upsetting to many. Next. Growing concerns about the future of the Squamish Spit. You see, for decades, it's been attracting outdoor enthusiasts, notably kiteboarders. But the berm has also impeded the passage of juvenile salmon, prompting calls for its removal. And as Imad Gahi reports, pleasing everyone may be impossible. It is perhaps best described in simple terms as a road to Mother Nature's paradise. Beautiful but fragile. The Squamish Spit, which leads to an estuary where the ocean and Squamish River meet, is a remnant of a failed coal port, and now an environmental problem. The river basically was cut off from the estuary in 1970 onwards, and the salmon stocks, in particular the schnook salmon, just plummeted from 1970 to the present. For two decades, the Squamish River Watershed Society has been working with the DFO and the Squamish Nation on a solution. When the structure was first put in, Squamish Nation was never consulted or engaged. And now, with the funding in hand, it is very likely work will begin to remove a large section of the spit in September to allow salmon to flow freely. But the spit is also the only way to access what wind sport enthusiasts call the best launch site in North America. It is not kiters against fish. This is about what is right for the community of Squamish. Its president argues removing access to some of Squamish's best waterfront will impact everyone. If there's no way for people to actually physically go out there and enjoy the ocean front and being able to experience the power of nature that is part of what makes Squamish so special, that we feel like the community is, is going to lose out and they're not even realizing what they're losing out. She also says without access to the launch site, the Windsport Society could fold. And with it, their ability to rescue close to 600 people a year who run into trouble on the water. And so there will be no retrieval services, there will be accidents, there will potentially be deaths, and there will be potentially more impact to the estuary than ever before. There's no evil villain in this story. It's so complex and we all want a better outcome for um, Chinook salmon and for our estuary. But we have to weigh that at the same time with other interests. The Wind Sports Society is asking for more time to try and bring a solution to the table, but it doesn't appear those leading the project are interested in holding off much longer. They're already delayed because of the pandemic and say estimates are between 10 to 100,000 juvenile salmon are at stake each year. Emadagahi, Global News. Coming up next, Very has the latest on the Canucks COVID outbreak, including the new names on the list and later. People care about one another. You know, it's unbelievable. The happy update to a story about the power of kindness coming up on the News Hour. When kindness catches on, the story that just keeps giving, so to speak, right after Barry's sports cast. And Barry, you've got more on the uh, Canucks situation. Yeah, it uh, certainly changes by the hour. Thanks, Colleen. The uh, Canucks have officially uh, have 16 players on the COVID list now, adding taxi squad skaters Jalen Chatfield and Mark Michaelis to the list. We are hearing with coaches and other players from the taxi squad still unnamed that it's over 20 in total. And it is the contagious Brazilian variant that has infected uh, many of the players with severe symptoms such as cramping, vomiting and dehydration. So 
First things first, the players need to get healthy, and then once things settle, hopefully in the next week or so, a plan concerning a return to the ice is likely to come from the NHL. It's almost certain it will be about two more weeks before returning to game action, and how much energy will those players have recovering from this variant? It may take even five to seven days before we really know a blueprint going forward. NHL tonight, Leafs and Flames from Calgary. Flames have slipped below the Canucks into sixth in the north. Bad start for Calgary. Austin Matthews forces the turnover, finds Morgan Riley, who rips it past David Riddick. Riley in his 555th career game tonight, 10th on the Leafs all-time list. Calgary gets it back, though. Clean win on the draw. Mark Giordano with the slapper tipped in by Joachim Nordstrom. That's his first goal as a flame in his 28th game. It's 1-1. Very late first. Flames take the lead. Andrew Mangiapane with the quick release beats Michael Hutchinson in goal tonight for the Leafs. 2-1 Flames at the first intermission. Capitals and Devils. Washington going for the season sweep. They won the first seven against the Devils. It helps to have the sixth leading goal scorer in NHL history. Alex Ovechkin is not going to score an easy one there. Taps in his 19th of the year. 725th of his brilliant career. 3-1 caps. And then in the third, Ovechkin with a fantastic feed to set up fellow Russian Evgeny Kuznetsov for the tap in there. Caps hold off the Devils. 5-4-8-0 no against New Jersey this season. Washington leads the East with 54 points. And we'll show you Tampa Bay, first in the Central, taking on the last place Red Wings, but Detroit really came to play today. 1-0 Wings late second, former Lightning, Valtteri Filpula, now 36 years old, in his second tour with the Red Wings, can still shoot the puck. That made it 2-0 Detroit. South Surrey's Michael Rasmussen with his second of the season. A backhander finds the corner. He was the Wings' first-round pick back in 2017, turns 22 later this month. Red Wings stun the Lightning 5-1 today in Tampa. Staying on the ice, World Curling Championships. Battle of the Undefeated, Brendan Botcher in Canada, 3-0, taking on the 3-0 Swiss. This one needed extra ends, tied at four. Swiss playing the angle, raised to perfection. Great shot, and they lay two. Team Canada holding the hammer. Botcher needing to draw to the button. Usually he is money in the pressure situations, but uh, maybe got it out there a little too far on that heavy ice, and it comes up short. A steal for the Swiss. They win 6-4. They go to 4-0. Canada drops to 3-1, and one, but Canada right back on the ice a few hours later, taking on the Netherlands. First end, Canada with hammer and a chance to jump out to the lead. Botcher with nice quiet weight here. Just bring that one in and bump out that uh, Dutch red stone. So it's two for Canada. They've got the 2-0 lead, and now in the seventh, 4-3 Canada leading, and this shot a little more straightforward, an open hit for two, and Botcher is not going to miss that. Canada goes on for the 7-6 win over the Netherlands, so they improve to 4-1. Norway leads the standings at 5-0. Jays and Yankees, final game of their season opening three-game set at Yankee Stadium. They split the first two, second inning. Vladdy Guerrero Jr., much lighter this year, dropped... Quite a few pounds over the winter, and he gets his first homer of the year, a 380-foot shot to right, one nothing Jays. Later in the inning, Randall Grichuk unloads, hugging the left field line. It stays fair. That's gone. Two-run homer, 3 nothing Jays. Six Toronto pitchers held the Yankees to just five hits. Ontario boy Jordan Romano strikes out Aaron Hicks to end the eighth. Jays win at 3-1. They're 2-1 on the young season, and they start a series in Texas tomorrow. 
Final round of the Valero Texas Open from San Antonio. Jordan Spieth tied for the lead, entering the day looking for his first PGA win since 2017. This will help. Tee shot on the par three. Perfect. Stuffs it to two and a half feet. Made the birdie. Spieth would take over the solo lead. Defending champ. Corey Connors of Ontario makes the birdie here at the 12th. He ends up tied 14th. Another solid week for Corey, won 140,000. He's won over 2.4 million this season. Back to Spieth. How would the nerves hold up down the stretch? Well, pretty good here at 15. Almost holds it for a birdie. Saved his par. Maintained a two-shot lead. At 17, the lead down to one over Charlie Hoffman. Spieth coming up clutch again. Great action on this pitch shot to within four feet. He would make the birdie to get to 18 under. And then on 18, taps in for the win. His first since the 2017 British Open. It's been a long road back from some big struggles the past couple of seasons. It's his 12th career victory. Abbotsford boys uh, Adam Hadwin tied 23rd. Nick Taylor Tied 59th. LPGA playing the major from Palm Springs. The ANA inspiration. Canada's Brooke Henderson with the birdie putt here. And uh, Brooke had a tough first round of 75. Never really recovered, but she did finish 19th, finishing at 6 under. Thailand's Patty Tavatanakit has dominated since the opening round of this one. Chips in for Eagle at 2. Her lead was up to 6 shots, but Lydia Ko put together one of the greatest rounds in LPGA major history. This birdie at 15 got her to 10 under for the day, and within two shots of the lead, she shot a 10 under 62, second lowest round ever at an LPGA major, but Tabitanikit holds on, wins her first tournament, which just happens to be a major for the 21-year-old from Thailand, and the tradition at this tournament, the winner jumps in the pond, so there they go. It's 100 degrees in Palm Springs, so that's refreshing when you can do that. And we'll finish with this. Masters winner Bubba Watson taking in the drive, chip, and putt championship from Augusta National. Kids from all over the world competing. Three Canadians, including Victoria's Anna Wu, competing in the seven to nine-year-old. How's this for a chip? Chips it in the hole. That even got a tweet from Phil Mickelson, who called it brilliant. And what a reaction from Anna. She had a chance to win the seven to nine-year-old division. She had to hold this putt, however, to get it done and just comes up short, but what a great effort. Royal Callwood's Anna Wu finishing second at the Drive Chip and Putt Championship. Fellow Canadian Alex Card won her age group, but what an experience to be at Augusta National with her parents. And of course, the Masters starts Thursday at Augusta National. So great times there. So beautiful this time of year there as well. I love seeing the kids. Mm -hmm. That's great. Thanks, Barry. When we come back, when paying it forward has a domino effect. The Easter story you'll want to see next. We told you about the small act of kindness that made a big difference to a Kamloops teacher. Well, uh, I'll tell you about it. A store clerk paying for snacks that a teacher was buying for her students. Remember that? Well, now word of that generosity has spread and is inspiring others to pay it forward as well. Jill Sperling of CFJC News has more. And then she told me that she was getting them for snacks for her students. When Deanna Irwin paid a stranger's bill at the dollar store she works at, she didn't expect anything in return. But Dina Chase, who was buying snacks for her students, was so moved by the gesture, she shared the story with her friends and then returned to the store to pay Irwin back with a variety of gift cards. I'm so glad I slowed down, stopped, and... Um, and shared my appreciation for her. As a result of the exchange of kindness between these two women, individuals and businesses have been inspired to give back in their own ways. 
Management at Save On Foods in Kamloops was so touched by the story, they reached out to Irwin and Chase. To see two people in Kamloops going the extra mile for the community, we just, we wanted to reach out to them and we wanted to pay it forward to them. Save On Foods provided a $100 gift certificate to Irwin and two $100 gift certificates to Chase, one for herself and one to use on her classroom. Others have also reached out to lend their support. For example, the Kamloops Firefighter Charitable Association donated five cases, not boxes, cases of Nature Valley granola bars. A couple reached out to help sponsor students on a monthly basis, and a man from a Richmond auto group is providing Chase and Irwin with $1,000 each. It's not about the money. It's just that, that honestly, it's that kindness that people, people care about one another. You know, it's unbelievable. What am I going to do with that? It's not for me. My heart is for students, and my heart is for kids. So I want to keep helping Keep helping kids. Chase and Irwin could never have imagined how many people they would touch with just a little bit of kindness. It's a simple story of kindness to women being kind to each other and caring about others. Jill Sperling, CFJC News. Not nice. Good example out there, viewers. Special. You, may to, you may want to try this at home. And you mm -hmm. may want to. That's the news hour for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Jordan is here at 11. Stay with us now for 60 Minutes. Have a good night.